Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the precious gift it is to have your word. Oh Lord, it is so marvellous that these 66 books that we have before us are inspired by you and so that we can stand upon them and know that we are right with yourself because of what they teach. Oh Lord, we pray that you would help us as we come to uh, obscure part of your word. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this small book of Ruth, but Lord, we pray that you would give us understanding as to what it is teaching us about how we are to live for your glory. We pray that your Holy Spirit may work amongst our hearts this morning so that we are quickened, we are enlivened to live for your glory. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I've been away for three weeks, and but before that time, we were going through the book of Ruth together. And so we covered the first three chapters, and now we've come to chapter four. And Ruth is a marvellous little book in many senses because it is uh, a heartwarming story uh, for us to read. It is one that speaks about these women who go through a tough time, but God brings them through that tough time and helps them in their time of need. And so chapter 1 really sets the scene where we have Naomi uh, losing her husband, losing her sons, but retaining the affection of her daughter-in-law, particularly Ruth, that Ruth sticks by her. And then in chapter 2, as they come back to the land of Israel, we see Ruth uh, looking after her mother-in-law by going out and working in the fields, gleaning along after the harvesters and seeing what food she can gather for their household. And there we see that she draws the attention of a wealthy landowner known as Boaz, And in chapter 3, the last time I preached, we saw that Ruth made this unusual marriage proposal to Boaz, that she goes there at night, she uncovers Boaz's feet, and she proposes to him. And then we saw that Boaz is willing to do this, but there's a hitch, there's a problem, and there's somebody that needs to be consulted first. And we saw that in Ruth chapter 3, which is found on page 260 of the Black Church Bibles. I encourage you to have a Bible open before you as we work through these uh, passages together. Ruth chapter 3, in verse 12, Boaz is speaking to Ruth and he says, Although it is true that I am near of kin, there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to redeem good, let him redeem. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So here we see that there's a problem, that Ruth and Boaz can't be immediately married in any sense because there is somebody that has a claim on the estate of her husband and upon her before Boaz does. And so now in chapter 4 of Ruth... The attention focuses on Boaz's efforts to acquire Ruth as his wife. And so we read in verse 1 that as Naomi and Ruth are waiting at home, according to chapter 3, verse 18, in chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there. When the kinsman redeemer he had mentioned came along, Boaz said, Come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Here we see Boaz is making the effort to engage this other kinsman redeemer who has a claim on Ruth and he is going to see what he can do to get Ruth instead of this man. And so in verse 2 it says, Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the kinsman redeemer, 
Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. So here he's telling his kinsman redeemer that he has the opportunity to marry, uh, to, to acquire the land of Ruth's husband. And he's saying, what are you going to do? Because if you want to do it, do it. But otherwise, I'm next in line and I would like to redeem it if you don't. So what does the man say? Well, we read at the end of verse 4, he says, I will redeem it. Now this is a bit of a, a tragic point in the story. It only lasts for one verse, but uh, we get a little bit surprised that this man is going to take Ruth. And we don't want Mr. No Name here to have Ruth. We like Boaz. We like Ruth. We like Naomi. Naomi, And we really want Ruth to be with Boaz. And so there's a high point in the story here where we think, oh, no, it looks like Ruth is going to be married to Mr. No Name. And the story is going to be over. So Boaz still has to work for his bride here. What does he have to do? Well, he has to act shrewdly and raise the issue with this man and bring him to make a decision. And so we read in verse 5, Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth the Moabites, you acquire the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. So here we see Boaz is putting the catch so to speak, before the man and saying, look, if you redeem the land, yes, you want the land, but then you have to get the wife that comes with it. And that then means that children that you have through her will have a right to that land as well so that you maintain the name of the dead with his property. And so that property will then ultimately belong to Ruth's dead husband. So what happens? Well, we read in verse 6, At this the kinsman redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it, because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Here we see that the kinsman redeemer decides, No, I'm not going to redeem it. I don't want Ruth. I might endanger my own estate if I take Ruth on board. Which is very interesting when you consider his own estate. is probably his own name he's wanting to keep. Uh, and we don't actually know his name. He tried to protect himself. Uh, but his name is not recorded here. Whose name who uh, is recorded for us is, of course, Boaz. So here we see this man say, look, I'm too interested in myself. I cannot do it. And so we see then that Boaz is successful in acquiring Ruth. We see that he uh, is successful in his redemption of Ruth. We read in verse Seven. Now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was a method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the kinsman redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself. And he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion and Malon. So they're um, Ruth's, uh, Naomi's husband and her sons. And then in verse 10, I've also acquired Ruth the Moabites, Marlon's widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from his family or from the town records. Today, you are witnesses. And here we then see that the elders witness this and they bless 
uh, Boaz here in verse 11. It says, Then the elders and all those at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, that's Ruth, may, you, you, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So here we see that Ruth becomes Boaz's wife here at this moment. They are witnesses, of, there are witnesses to this fact and there is a blessing pronounced. Uh, it's interesting who they mention at there in verse 12 that they would like Boaz's family to be like. Uh, they mention that his family should be like that of Perez who Tamar bore to Judah. Now why do they mention Perez and Tamar? Well, Perez is, of course, an ancestor of Boaz, and we see that uh, down in verse 18 where the genealogy starts. It starts with Perez, who is a uh, son of Judah, uh, one, of the 12 sons of, uh, one of the 12 sons of Israel. And so uh, they're saying, may your family uh, continue along the lines of Perez. But it's interesting they mention Tamar there, born to Judah. Who is Tamar? Tamar is another woman in Israel's history who needed a kinsman redeemer as well, whose husbands died, and she had an unusual set of circumstances by which she was able to continue the family line. If you want to know more about that, you need to go back uh, to Genesis and to read in Genesis about Tamar and her relationship with Judah. Uh, it's a very unusual story, uh, but it's interesting here we have an unusual uh, woman in Ruth and needing uh, this redeeming as well. And so in Genesis 38 there, we learn about Tamar as well and see that she has a similar circumstance and they want Ruth to be able to be blessed as Tamar was in that time. And so here we see that Boaz gets his bride and then God blesses Boaz's efforts and Ruth's efforts as well to form a family. What happens in verse 13? So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Then he went to her and the Lord, so God, enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. God blesses them with a child, which is potential problem for Ruth when we understand that she was married for 10 years to Naomi's son and they didn't have any children so it's very likely that she could consider herself as barren and here we see that she has this child she has a son and then of course it doesn't end there that we see it in verses 18 down to verse 22 that through this son eventually King David is born that Naomi is a direct ancestor of King David. Uh, we see that in verse 22. It says, Obed, that's the son of Ruth and Boaz, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David. And it's always nice when stories like this end well, isn't it? We love happy endings, don't we? I know some people like sad endings in movies, sad endings in books. If I know that a book has a bad ending, I won't read it. I like to check with somebody beforehand. They don't have to tell me the ending, but just tell me that it ends well. I've read too many books where I get caught up in them. I love the characters and everybody dies at the end. We like a happy ending. And so Ruth is a, a lovely story to read. It's like one of the other books in the Bible that's named after a woman, Esther. It's a lovely book to read uh, because it has such a pleasant ending. But is that what this book is all about? A nice story? Just like watching a romantic comedy movie 
Gives you a nice little buzz at the end. Is that why the book of Ruth is in the scriptures? Maybe it's a bit of moral advice from God about caring for families, which is an important thing to do. It's wonderful that Boaz looks out for his family here, for Ruth and Naomi, who he's related to. It's wonderful that Ruth looks out for her mother-in-law. Is that what the book of Ruth is about? About working hard and looking, over, looking after those that you have an obligation to. Well, I think the book of Ruth is actually primarily about God's providence through dark times. When we looked at chapter 1 of Ruth, we saw that this occurs, this scene occurs with Ruth and Boaz and Naomi during the time of the judges. In chapter 1, verse 1, the book opens, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. If you know anything about the book of Judges, you know it's not a pretty time in Israelite history. It's a very tough time in Israelite history. And here we see that this is a time when there's great famine in the land to actually push some Israelites to move to the land of Moab, to move to a foreign country. It's a tough time. And so what is the book of Ruth telling us? Telling the people of the time, the original readers? It's telling them that God is there throughout difficult times. That even in times of intense suffering, God is there and he's actually working for the good of his people. Would Naomi have been able to believe that one day her great-grandson would be on the throne of Israel? That he would be King David and that the land would prosper greatly under his leadership? We see through these circumstances that God is working for the good of his people. And it's an encouragement to God's people as they read a book like this to see that even when we go through times of hard suffering, that God is still present, working behind the scenes and working for our good and bringing blessing. And so we see Naomi at the beginning being quite empty as she loses her children. And then we see there at the end in verse 16 of chapter 4 that she has this little child in her lap. It says in verse 16, Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. God can bring a filling to us, even in our emptiness, that God is working with us. And it's an encouragement to us. But I think, really, as we as Christians, as we look at a book like Ruth, we can apply the teachings there to the suffering that we go through, the pain that we go through. But I think, ultimately, it's a good reminder to us of the way that God has looked after us in the most intense time of pain that we have been in our life and how he has provided a way out, how he has provided redemption out of such terrible circumstances. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the state that we're in before we become believers in Jesus Christ, that we're in a state of sin and misery, that we see the sin in our lives and we see the consequences of our sin that happen to us in this world. And we see the future where the consequences of our sin will bring about eternal suffering in hell. And we're in a terrible state then because of our sin. Far worse than Ruth experienced as she was there in a time of famine, didn't know who to turn to, and Naomi as well. Yes, it was terrible what they went through, but it's not as terrible as the consequences of our sin, both now and forevermore. But wonderfully, 
God has provided a redeemer in Jesus Christ. And so as we look at a passage like this and we see the word redemption, it should point us to Jesus Christ. We cannot ignore the link between Ruth and Jesus Christ. There is a direct link even to Jesus Christ in the genealogy that we see there at the end of Ruth chapter 4. This genealogy that's given there is tacked on the end and you may think, oh, I don't really need to read that. It's not of particular interest to me. Oh, I might read the end there about David. But what does this genealogy end up doing? It ends up getting taken up by Matthew in his gospel about Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 1 where he has a genealogy at the beginning and in Luke chapter 3 where he picks up on this same genealogy and quotes it because from this union between Boaz and Ruth comes Jesus Christ himself. And so there's in one sense a direct link to Jesus Christ from Ruth, particularly Ruth chapter 4. But I think there's also a shadow here, an indirect link to Jesus Christ as we hear about redemption, as we hear about a man who is going for a bride who's in a terrible state and working hard to get her, working hard to bring her to himself. And so as we look at the book of Ruth, we see the redeeming work of Jesus Christ because Jesus is very much like Boaz in many ways. Christ became human to be related to us as Boaz was to Ruth. Remember, Boaz can redeem Ruth because he is related to her. There's someone that's a bit closer, and so he has to check with that person first and work hard to make sure that he is able to marry her. But Christ also became our relative. How? By his incarnation. He became human. We should never forget the importance of the fact that Christ became human, so that he is a human like us, and so that his death at the cross, when he pays for our sins, he pays as a human being like us. And like Boaz made negotiations to get Ruth, Jesus also made negotiations to get us. He negotiated with the Father. We call it the covenant of redemption. That Jesus made a covenant with the Father to redeem us. By his death at the cross, Jesus went and negotiated for us. And unlike Mr. No Name, Jesus was willing to endanger his own estate in order to have you as his bride. How did Jesus endanger his own estate? By going to the cross, by the pain that he bore on his body. He was willing to do that, even though it meant great physical danger for him and great spiritual danger as the wrath of God was poured out upon him. And he actually experienced death, bodily death, as a result of his desire to redeem you from your state of sin and misery. He is so much like Boaz in that sense that he's willing to endanger his estate in order to have his bride. And like Boaz was blessed by God, so God also has blessed Christ's redeeming work. We see that God is indeed pleased with Boaz and Ruth, what Boaz has done in redeeming Ruth. And God was indeed pleased with Jesus Christ and his redeeming work. What did the elders say that they would like to happen to Ruth and Boaz? Back in Verse 11 of Ruth chapter 4, it says, Then the elders and all those at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your room like into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. 
Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez whom Tamar bore to Judah. They're saying, may your union be fruitful. May you have many people added to your family as a result of your redeeming work. And what happened? There was fruit. Obed, and then we see in the genealogy, goes on. And the same happened when Jesus redeemed us. God blessed his redeeming work with fruit, that his house has been built up, that people have been added to his family again and again and again through history, right down to today, where we are being added to his family. God has indeed blessed the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. He's built up Christ's house with people who are from all nations. The wonderful truth of the book of Ruth is that God's mercy to Gentile nations is displayed there as well. Remember, Ruth is not a Jew. And yet, she is part of the genealogy that leads to Jesus Christ himself. God is a God of all nations. And this is shown so clearly in the New Testament where so many people from different nations are added to Christ's house, to Christ's family, so that we here today in a country far removed from Israel are part of Christ's house. Christ's name has become famous. As the elders said there that they wanted Boaz's name to become great, Christ's name has become great, not just in Bethlehem and Ephrathah. It's become great throughout the world so that we here sit in Australia, in Sydney, Australia, and know Christ's name. There are so many many parallels here between Boaz and Christ. And so I think you can make much of Christ as you read the book of Ruth. Christ is the man who fights for his bride with redeeming love. He redeems his bride. Now I know that not everyone would necessarily agree with this. As people read the Old Testament, they don't necessarily want to see Christ as much as others. And I was reading a popular commentary, generally a reliable commentary series that I always read. And the commentator on the book of Ruth and Ruth chapter 4 here says... It is illegitimate to draw elaborate parallels between Boaz as Christ and Ruth as the bride of Christ. So Boaz as Christ and Ruth as the bride of Christ, as is not infrequent within Christian circles. Boaz is not mentioned once in the New Testament. I guess he hasn't made Matthew 1 and Luke 3 with the genealogies, but anyway, he's not mentioned particularly. He's not mentioned once in the New Testament and so obviously is never declared a type of Christ. The word type there just means shadow. Boaz isn't a type of Christ, according to this commentator. Just because Boaz is a goel, which is the Hebrew word for redeemer, just because Boaz is a redeemer and the New Testament describes Christ's death in terms of redemption does not mean that the interpreter is free to draw all kinds of parallels between the two individuals. This commentator thinks that what I'm doing here this morning, where I'm saying that Jesus Christ is shown in the work of Boaz as a redeemer, isn't a legitimate exercise to do, as is not infrequent within Christian circles, as he says. That's his view. I'd far rather agree with Matthew Henry, who also commentates on this passage of Scripture. Matthew Henry is one of the great Puritans. Uh, Many people use his, uh, his commentaries. And he says on this passage, he says, Our Lord Jesus is our Goel, that's Redeemer, our Redeemer, our everlasting Redeemer, He looked, like Boaz, with compassion on the deplorable state of fallen mankind. At a vast expense, 
He redeemed the heavenly inheritance for us, which was by sin mortgaged and forfeited it into the hands of divine justice, and which we should never have been able to redeem. He likewise purchased a peculiar people whom he would espouse to himself, those strangers and foreigners, like Ruth, poor and despised, that the name of that dead and buried race might not be cut off forever. He ventured the marring of his own inheritance to do this, for though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, but he was abundantly recompensed for it by his father, who, because he thus humbled himself, hath highly exalted him and given him a name above every name. I think we can see as we look at the book of Ruth that it is a pretty picture of the most beautiful of all pictures, that of Jesus Christ and his church, his bride. Now this could be said of any marriage, any loving marriage, that as we look at any marriage around us, that it is a picture of Christ's relationship to the church. I'm doing pre-marriage counselling with a young couple in our church at the moment, and what I regularly do over the six-week classes is continue to remind any couple that I counsel about marriage is that marriage is not essentially about them and their personal happiness, despite what the culture around us teaches us. They teach you get married to be happy. Marriage, according to the scriptures, is primarily about displaying God's relationship to his church. And that means that if a marriage is unhappy, it doesn't mean that it dissolves. Because otherwise, every time we sin against God or are unhappy ourselves with God, every time God is unhappy with us or we are unhappy with God as his bride, the marriage would dissolve. But thankfully that is not the case, that God continues to work with us as we fail him and continues to love us and continues to forgive us. And so we should work at our marriages to make sure that they are loving portrayals, pictures of the most marvellous of all marriages, Jesus Christ and his church. But I think Ruth and Boaz, as we read this passage together, we see particularly here that it is a marvellous picture of Christ and his church because Ruth and Boaz speak so clearly to the relationship that we have with God. Ruth's utter helplessness is a marvellous picture of our utter helplessness in our sin. And Boaz's redeeming work where he negotiated for his bride speaks so clearly to the way that Christ negotiated for us and endangered his own estate. And if someone wants me to accuse me of finding too much of Christ in the Old Testament, well, so be it. I'd far rather be accused of that than of finding too little of Christ in the Old Testament. So are you known for making much of Christ and his redeeming work, particularly his redeeming work? Do you regularly marvel at Christ as your redeemer? The Apostle Paul's resolve to know nothing but Christ and him crucified wanted to know Christ and him crucified. Crucified, the redeeming work of Christ. That's a lofty goal. Nothing but Christ and him crucified. Is it your goal to know nothing but Christ and him crucified? The cross is not only to be remembered at Easter. The cross is not only to be remembered as we come to the Lord's table together, as we're going to do this morning. 
The cross should be remembered every day of your entire life, including when you read the book of Ruth. Because the day of the cross is the day the greatest groom of all time paid the penalty for his bride. You, his church. That is the day the greatest groom met with God, the God of the universe, and paid the price of your sin. That is the day the greatest groom called on heaven and earth to witness his redeeming work, as Boaz called on the elders to witness his redeeming work. That day means that if you trust in Jesus Christ, you are saved from your sin and are now under Christ's protection. He becomes your groom, you become his bride, and he looks after you, and no one can hurt you any longer because Christ is there watching over you. And that is the day that Christ's name became exceedingly great, like no other name in all the earth or the universe. Christ's glory is shown at the cross. Yes, there's a humility, there's a shamefulness as he hangs there on the cross, but he is so glorious at the cross because his love, his mercy, his justice, his power, all displayed there at the cross. We can never fully understand the magnitude of Christ's glory displayed there at the cross, but we grasp at it and we can see that that day is of supreme significance in our lives. Because of that day, you were redeemed and became an Obed. The word Obed, the name Obed, means servant or worshipper. And that's what you became the day of the cross. If you trust in Jesus Christ, he redeemed you that day and you became his servant. So how do you make sure that you remember the cross? Ruth chapter 4 is one way that you can do it. As you read the word redeemer there, you think Christ and his redemption. But that's just one way. There are many ways that you can remember Christ's redeeming work. Why don't you ask someone at morning tea? If you're staying for the church lunch, ask someone there. How do you make sure you remember Christ's redeeming work? And if you're a member of the church, make sure you're ready to answer that. Give just one of the ways that you remember Christ's redeeming work. It's such a privilege that you have brothers and sisters around you that can encourage you and give you other ideas as to how you can remember the greatest day of all history. Take advantage of them and be taken advantage of as they ask you, how do you remember the redeeming work of Jesus Christ day by day? Let's come to our God in prayer. Let's speak with him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this book of Ruth and we thank you for the way it points us to Jesus Christ, that there we see our Redeemer, the one who fought for his bride, even endangered his own estate to bodily death at the cross. And Lord, we thank you that you have indeed blessed his redeeming work and have brought much fruit from his labour. We pray that you would continue to help us to remember his redemption day by day. 
so that we praise him and give him the glory that he rightfully deserves. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.